Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Happy Tuesday, Gisters, and welcome to The Gist of It. We're your hosts. I'm Ellen Hislop. And I'm Steph Roth. And as per usual, we're here to give you a fresh perspective on the world of sports. And today in particular, we are talking about money. (laughs) The U.S. Soccer Federation wants the women's and men's national teams to share their prize money, and we have some feelings. Do we ever have some feelings today, Steph? A lot going on, but first... I want to talk about my feelings from the weekend because there was so many amazing sporting moments this weekend, especially in the U.S. Open where men and women get paid the same. Hello, FIFA. Hello, U.S. soccer. Are you paying attention? Um, But so many amazing things that happened in the sports world this weekend with tennis, football starting. Obviously, I'm so happy about that. And the WNBA playoffs, like really getting into that race for the final two playoff spots. Yes, and also I know this is a little bit region specific, but the Blue Jays had quite an eventful weekend as well. So there's always so many sports going on in September. We're very grateful. I mean, I feel like we had different Twitter timelines for one of those nights, though, for the <laughs> the U.S. Open final. Um, I, fe- I was not watching the final. I chose pain that night and watched the leaders debate for the federal election <laughs> coming up in Canada. And I regret every moment of that. <laughs> it was so funny. I think that was the semifinal, Steph. And I could see that Steph was tweeting about politics and government, because for those that might not be aware, there is about to be an election in Canada that could determine who the prime minister is. It might change, might say the same as Justin Trudeau, who knows. So Seth, you know, being the very good citizen that she is, is watching this debate. And meanwhile, me not being a good citizen is watching Layla Fernandez play Sabalenka in the semifinal. Of course, Layla won, so I was super happy, and it was too bad to see her lose in the in the final, but it, it was awesome to see Emma, the other teenager from Britain, win, take it home. That's It was just so cool to see two unseated players in the U.S. Open final just take over the hearts and minds of, of everyone watching. Thank you for correcting the timeline on that. It's just all such a blur, and I really do wish I tuned into that match. Um, that's almost a greater civic duty and more productive. <laughs> uh, yes, yes, for sure. There are a lot of things that we want to get to today, and I will say that this is a little bit of a nuanced, complicated topic that we're getting into. There is a lot of legal jargon, but I think that this is a really important conversation because it's one that started way back in 2019. Like I remember when we were first writing about this suit, I was actually still writing for the gist like I was still one of the writers in the newsletter and I was doing all of this research so two years down the road and we're still talking about equal play for the U.S. women's national team and the U.S. men's national team and how the U.S. Soccer Federation and FIFA are all a part of it so a very interesting intriguing important conversation for us to chat about today. 
Yeah, it seems it's getting even more more and more confusing as the years go on and there's so many different layers to this and there's now so many voices a part of this in terms of coming from the U.S. women's national soccer team, but also coming from the Soccer Federation. We've had some changes in leadership. We've had some changes in voices that I'm sure we'll get to. So it does seem to be getting complicated as the time goes on as well. Mm -hmm. Doesn't it always? Doesn't it always? (laughs) So (laughs) we're going to get into all that today. But first, we really want to take a moment to thank today's sponsor, Scotiabank. Scotiabank is doing just some awesome stuff for the hockey community. Research has shown that as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic, Canada's unemployment rate has more than doubled since February 2020, and families will be faced with very difficult decisions when it pertains to their disposable incomes over the next really couple of years. Scotiabank, as well as the folks at the Hockey Canada Foundation, understand that there is still a need to keep kids in sport and keep kids in hockey, and so they've created what's called the Assist fund where $1 million of funding will be available to eligible families to reduce registration and equipment fees to participate in hockey, which is just amazing. We also love that Scotiabank will be committing an additional $350,000 to the fund to directly support applicants who have identified themselves as a visible minority. So for all things Scotiabank and to learn more about the assist fund, go to assistfund.hockeycanadafoundation.ca. Again, that's assistfund.hockeycanadafoundation.ca hockeycanadafoundation.ca And we're back. Last week, U.S. Soccer Federation, or USSF, President Cindy Parlo Cohn sent an open letter asking the women's and men's national teams to agree to share FIFA's World Cup prize money. Now, there are a few ways to interpret this question, but if your first thought was disgusting, gross, uh, you might be in good company here. (laughs) Yes, again, lots of nuance to this, so stay with us. I'm sure a lot of us already do have some background on the U.S. women's national teams fight for equal pay, but because it's been so many years and because, as you mentioned, Steph, it's got so complicated, we want to do a refresher on the USSF, so the U.S. Soccer Federation and their fraught relationship with both national teams, so both the U.S. women's national team as well as the men's national team. So going back to March 2019, which was three months before the FIFA Women's World Cup that the U.S. women's national team, of course, eventually went on to win. 28 players filed a gender discrimination lawsuit against the USSF. The 28 plaintiffs or team members were seeking a class action lawsuit status over, quote, institutionalized gender discrimination toward the team, which was eventually granted by a federal judge in November 2019, meaning the lawsuit could include players who appeared for the national team dating back to February 4th, 2015, which is very important because there was also a FIFA World Cup, FIFA Women's World Cup that year that happened in Vancouver that the U.S. Women's National Team also won. There's a section of the original lawsuit filing that explains the reason for the lawsuit really plainly, and we'll read it here. So, quote, despite the fact that these female and male players are called upon to perform the same job responsibilities on their teams and participate in international competitions for their single common employer, the USSF, the female players have been consistently paid less money than their male counterparts. This is true even though their performance has been superior to that of the male players, with the female players, in contrast to the male players, becoming world champions, end quote. 
the shade, the shade, the shade, the shade of that last line. But also it's the truth, baby. It's the truth. It's just the truth. The lawsuit also noted issues with how often the women's team played and where, if you didn't listen to our podcast last week, also has to deal with the women playing on artificial turf in comparison to the men playing on grass, which I went on a rant. So go and listen to that other podcast. But anyway, where and how often the women's team played, the medical treatment they received, the coaching they received. So Really, the point of this lawsuit was to receive equitable pay and treatment in addition to back damages, so back pay for what happened also up to or from 2015. So since that filing in March 2019, there's been a ton of back and forth both in the courts and in the media. So coming into July 2019, then USSF President Carlos Cadero decided to go public and release an open letter that included an analysis of 10 years of financial data. He said the data showed that from 2010 to 2018, the women's players were paid $34.1 million in salary and game bonuses by the USSF compared to $26.4 million given to the men during the same time period. He also noted that the men's and women's team operate with separate collective bargaining agreements and pay structures, which we'll get into in a few minutes. I think the biggest thing to kind of call out there when he's comparing 2010 to 2018, the women won a World Cup, you know, within that time, whereas the men went to the World Cup, didn't get out of the group stage, and then didn't qualify for the 2018 World Cup. It's a very good statement that you included there. All of this kind of ramped up even more in February and March 2020 when the USSF filed a motion to dismiss the lawsuit entirely. And the language they used in the motion attempted to show the women's players did not perform work of equal skill, effort, and responsibility. Just gonna let that hang in the air for a second. Ugh. At the risk of losing sponsors and fans, Codero ended up resigning in March 2020, thank gosh, and the chief legal counsel a few months later, and the USSF seemed destined to lose the court case. And a not so fun fact in their stuff, just before we were recording this podcast, I was doing a little Google, as you do. And actually, this September, Codero was hired by FIFA as the senior advisor on global strategies. So isn't that just interesting? Wow, <laughs> wow. FIFA. Great. Thank you. Great <laughs> hire, FIFA. Good hire for gender <laughs> equity. Unfortunately, though, as much as we thought like, oh, OK, the USSF is going to lose this case, that wasn't really what happened. So in May 2020, a U.S. district judge in L.A. threw out the equal pay portion of the lawsuit, ruling that the women had rejected a pay-to-play structure similar to the ones in the men's agreement, and instead the women went for greater base salaries and benefits than the men. I just want to give some background on why women would do this in comparison to the men. A lot of these men are either playing in Europe on professional teams or playing in the MLS on professional teams and making so much money. Like we are talking six to seven figures every single year, really great benefits packages, really solid job security. Whereas the women, when they're playing professional and they're playing in the NWSL or they're playing in Europe, these leagues are 
still so new. Like they were started in 2013. They were maybe, you know, getting paid anywhere between like $50,000 to $90,000. They needed guaranteed benefits, like just as women in terms of what we need, but also their caregivers, they're looking out for their families. They just needed more safety and more of a safety net than men. And so it's no wonder why, because of this patriarchal system of sports that we live in, that these women felt like they needed something that was a little bit less risky. So I think that's also needed here in terms of some background. And I will say earlier this year, that same federal judge approved a partial deal between the team and the USSF over unequal working conditions. So again, they rejected the pay to play. They confirmed the unequal working conditions. And now some people are saying with this approval of the partial deal for working conditions, maybe the appeal will do better with respect to the equal pay. It's an interesting case, too, because when we're talking about equality, it, you can't take the same measures, can't just do the same thing to the same group and expect the same results because everyone's coming at this from a different playing field. Mm-hmm. So like you mentioned, that's the reason they why they would not have the same deals in terms of needing that base salary. It's obvious because women don't have the same advantages. Yeah. So it makes sense, right? Like you can't treat everyone as if they're the exact same and expect that to create equality. Mm-hmm. I think that's often missing from these conversations. So I think that's a really good example of that. And where we stand now is that we're waiting on appeals on the equal pay side. So not talking about the working conditions, back to the equal pay side. So we're waiting on those appeals. But there's a new bump in the road that we've seen coming for a long time, which is the collective bargaining agreements between both teams, so the men's and the women's, and the USSF expire at the end of this year, so the end of 2021. And with just a few months to go to get on the same page or risk a holdout, the USSF is making a big ask. Yes, so we'll get to that in one minute. Massive shout out to today's partner, Scotiabank. If you've listened to this podcast before, you've heard me belabor the point that I absolutely love hockey. I grew up playing the sport. I love to watch it. I hope to one day play it again. And women's hockey is so formative and it's so important. And I cannot emphasize that enough. I feel I would not be the woman I am today without hockey in my life and it makes me so happy to see organizations like Scotiabank doing their part to help young kids like I was try out for hockey or even stay in the game like I need to right now. (laughs) The Assist Fund in partnership with the Hockey Canada Foundation is truly going to change families lives because of course hockey has the power to do that. Check out how Scotiabank is changing the game for kids across Canada at assistfund.hockeycanadafoundation.ca. That's assistfund.hockeycanadafoundation.ca. And we are back. Thank you for staying with us. So now that we have the background, we have what happened in 2019, we have what happened in 2020, let's get back into the latest development, which is Parlo Cohn, the president of the USSF, asking the teams to equalize the FIFA World Cup prize money. So one of the sticking points between the USSF and the players in the equal pay fight has been the World Cup prize money because it is a very, very (laughs) significant chunk of change. The Federation insists that because FIFA controls the prize pot, it's out of its control to divide it equally which is kind of a dot, dot, dot because all of these organizations work together and they do have a lot of negotiating power here, but 
we digress. It's kind of up to FIFA here. So as negotiations for this new collective bargaining agreement continue, Parlo Cohn has called for the men's national team to allow the USSF to reallocate a portion of FIFA's World Cup payments to the women's team. And she said the USSF will be offering the same option to the women's team as well. So the women would also be sharing with the men. In the open letter, Carlo Cohn says, quote, The massive discrepancy in FIFA World Cup prize money is by far the most challenging issue we continue to face in our parallel negotiations with the men's and women's national teams. While FIFA has made some impactful investments in the women's game, the discrepancy in prize money remains stark. FIFA alone controls these funds, and U.S. soccer is legally obligated to distribute those funds based on our current negotiated collective bargaining agreements with the men's and women's teams. Within this challenge, we see an opportunity to create change. To capitalize on that opportunity, we need our men's and women's national teams to come together and rethink how we've done things in the past. To that end, we have invited the players and both players associations to join U.S. soccer in negotiating a solution together that equalizes World Cup prize money between the U.S. men's national team and the U.S. women's national team. End quote. A long quote. You did so well there. Thank you. I also loved the tone that you input there. I actually can't imagine that Parlo Cohn is actually using the same um, intonation as you, but I liked it. I like the Stephism that you added to that. (laughs) So naturally, the U.S. Women's National Team and the Players Association came out and publicly discredited a lot of the claims in this open letter from the U.S. Soccer Federation with the Players Association Executive Director saying, quote, if the USSF was serious about equal pay, they would not engage in publicity stunts with fall short of addressing our issues, end quote. I feel this is this is what I was trying to get at with the tone is I, a lot of nicey nicey words that we often <laughs> hear from leaders and from people are who are are being pressured into perhaps changing their ways. So it does seem like what's happening here is that the USSF's newest tactic is trying to pit the women's and, and men's teams against each other and to really galvanize the fans to think that mm-hmm. they're doing everything in their part to be the good guys here. And I don't think that it's wrong of the U.S. Uh, women's national team to call it a publicity stunt because that's what it is. It was a, it was a PR statement. It wasn't nego- like it, it was an open letter. It was an open letter. If they wanted to be negotiating in good terms, they probably would be doing that. And I don't think that the U.S. women's national team would tweet about that being in bad faith. So the men's team has been very supportive of the women's team throughout this whole lawsuit ordeal. And as a result, has gone against the USSF's very, very publicly. After the U.S. women's national team appeal... They said that the USSF has, quote, spent more than three decades treating the women as an afterthought, discriminating against them through inferior wages and working conditions, and forcing the women to struggle for the equal pay and fair treatment they deserve. That is as dispiriting as it is unlawful. Very well done to the men's team and glad that they were so supportive throughout you know, the lawsuit side of things, especially 2019 and 2020. And it will be interesting to see what happens here and what they say to this. So because of the huge disparities in what FIFA gives to women's and men's teams, it might seem like the women would be the ones to benefit financially here. So when the women win the World Cup, at least when they won in 2019, they won $4 million. When the men's team won in 2018, they won $38 million. So that's 
that's that's what each of the teams got. And I don't think you have to be that good at math to know that half of 38 million is better than keeping all of the 4 million here. Of course, when you're looking at FIFA, the total prize pool for the men's tournament is $400 million, or it was in 2018, $400 million. And in 2019, it was $30 million for the women. Both, of course, are going to increase over the next couple of years. And I do think that FIFA is making headway in terms of not having as large of a contrast between $430 million. But still, within the last couple of years, the winning team for the men's made more than the entire women's tournament. And I think that's something that's very important to keep in mind here. But the catch is, and the hard part with when you have such a powerhouse like the U.S. women's national team, is that the U.S. women's team actually wins $4 million because they're really good. They won in 2019, whereas the men's team didn't qualify for the last World Cup in 2018. So if they're asking the men if they'd like to keep 100% of their $0 winnings or take half of the women's $4 million winnings, of course they're going to say we're going to take half of the women's $4 million winnings. It's a very risky proposition because if the men even just make it a little bit, just get into that old World Cup and just exist in that, Mm -hmm. halving that money would benefit the women because the discrepancy that you mentioned there is just so great. So going back into 2014, the U.S. men got 55,000 each for making the 2014 World Cup roster and split 4.3 million for earning four points in the group stage and reaching the knockout stage. So that calculated to just under 187,000 per player whereas the women split $862,000 for making the roster and then they split the 2.53 million for winning the 2019 World Cup which came up to 147,000. So that 187,000 for the men not making it that far but at least being there versus the women making 147,000. So of course it would be beneficial to the women to be splitting this if the men actually get into the whole situation that is the World Cup, but it's risky because they haven't, right? Like I, I'm torn I'm torn between it to be excited about this, but also to be nervous about this because I would hate for the women to have to share their four million dollars that they've worked so hard for. And that's like the peak money they will see. You know what I mean? Totally. That is the peak money. And I think that 2.53 million, and I know that we got this from a Sports Illustrated article. I'm a little bit confused because they did win $4 million in 2019, but this is saying 2.53 million. So I wonder if Sports Illustrated is comparing 2014 to 2015 potentially here or maybe they're doing after tax or something that Mm, we're not too sure about but I I do want to flag that it was like four million that they did win so just it's it's either 2015 or it's an after tax thing that we are not too sure of but you're totally right Steph like I think that it's a gamble it's almost like a game of risk or a game of cards or just game of probability that like okay like we think the men are going to do well but if they don't do well and they at least have to get some points in the group stage do we think they're good enough and I think that the real hard part here is that it's not like we're talking about USA basketball right where you know that the men's team is always going to do well and you know that the women's team is always going to do well and to me those two teams are essentially on a level playing field same with Canada hockey 
for both the men's and the women's. They're definitely on a level playing field. When you're looking at soccer, and this is really, I'm not putting down the men here, but they're playing against Europe and these countries that are truly obsessed with soccer and that have been the best in the world forever. And so I don't think that it's fair to expect the men to be on the same level as the women because the women's game, I think, and the women's kind of like system and everything in North America really is just better than it is to a lot of the European nations in Australia and things like that on the women's side of the game. So it's a really tough ask that the USSF is now putting on these players. It's another one of those examples where you can't just split things down the middle. You can't just treat each group exactly the same and expect that the outcome of that to be equality, right? Because that's not splitting the prize fund is not going to create equal pay here like we need to get down to the collective bargaining agreements we need to get down to how much they get per game that they play like it's not going to solve something and so that's why to me it does feel like a bit of a PR stunt and it does feel like a little bit shady to me because it is such a a risk for the women to actually lose money that this isn't this isn't solving the problem. No. And then like, are the players going to resent each other? You know what I mean? Like you want your men's and your women's team to support each other. But if, will the men start resenting? Will the women start resenting the men? And also, will the women start to feel like, oh shit, I got to start helping out this US soccer on the men's side because they need a lot of help in choosing their <laughs> players and choosing their coaches because we're so good over here. Like, will it be a good thing and that they're supporting each other more? Or will there be some not so great things. And also what will other countries be doing because of something like this? Like what type of precedent will this set? And again, it could be a good things or it could be a not great thing. Like Canada, the men's team never freaking makes the world cup. So you know what I mean? You start to get into all these different types of things where, okay, so then what's a country like Norway thinking they have an amazing women's team. They don't have a great men's team. It's, it's tough. I also worry that this could galvanize a lot of the hatred that already exists for the Mm -hmm. advocacy that the U.S. women's national soccer team does do. Um, Of course, I idolize these women and I'm so grateful for them. And I watched the documentary about this lawsuit, LFG, just so excited to hear more about how they even did this. But there are a lot of people out there who hate these women. And I think I don't know if splitting the prize money is going to create the movement that we need to in terms of getting everybody on our side. Mm, That's a really great point, especially in this divisive world that we're living in right now anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, and then, you know, you'll get the people saying, well, they're taking money from us, even if the men's happen by happenstance do well next year or next World Cup, rather. Right. It is next year. So <laughs> you're, next you're, year. you're right on that. <laughs> so very interesting things to come. And it's especially with the collective bargaining agreements about to expire at the end of this year. Y'all know we're going to be keeping you up to date on this and seeing what the responses are like to Carlo Pone here. And I would love to just be a fly on the wall at these USSF meetings to be like, what are they thinking? Who is putting out these ideas? What is going on? So lots more, I don't know if this is the right word, lots more fun to be had (laughs) before the collective bargaining agreements are done and dusted and signed. All right, so that marks the end of today's episode. Thank you so much for joining us today and for listening. We would love for you now at this time to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast, and we'll be back in your feed on Friday. 
If you want to get in touch with us, you can write us via email at pod at thegistsports.com or you can follow us on Twitter and send us a DM there at thegistpod. This episode was edited by Roche Abdullah, executive produced by Vanessa Sanchez and produced by Ellen and me. Again, I'm Steph Rotz. And I'm Ellen Hislop. And this has been The Gist of It. We hope that you have a great week and we'll see you on Thursday. Guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.